Everybody that you meet, you can learn something from them. That it's not necessarily what you achieve in life that matters most, but it's who you become in the process of those achievements that really matters. We all need people who believe in us. They expand the boundaries we place on our own lives. What makes me most proud is how I played the game. Being real, authentic, and spontaneous, and loving the game, to me, is what it was all about. When you retire, you may get a chance to go to football heaven. This is football heaven. Hello and welcome to The Mission. I'm your host, Jameer Howerton. Guys, we have a very special show for you today. This Gold Jack is the first time being right here on The Mission. And if you've ever been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and visit the Holographic Theater, A Game for Life, his story is extremely funny and is unique. So we're going to talk about that and so much more. Joining us is Seattle Seahawks legend and class member of 1995, Mr. Steve Largent. Mr. Largent, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us right here on The Mission. How are you doing? Thank you, Jameer. I'm doing well, and, and uh, hello to all your listeners. Thank you so much, sir. Um, you know, we're going to talk about so much stories and more, but I really want to get your perspective because, you know, as we are dealing with COVID-19, coronavirus, you have a unique perspective because you're a former politician. You were part of the U.S. House of Representatives from 1994 to 2002. From your perspective, how do you see the officials handling everything? Well, I can tell you that, uh, you know, while I was in office, it was uh, 1996, I think, uh, that the Murrah bombing uh, uh, took place in Oklahoma City. <clears throat> and that was a, a tragedy for us here in Oklahoma, uh, for sure, uh, but a real wake-up call to America. And then we had the 911 uh, bombing, in, uh, and that was another wake-up call for us. And, uh, you know, from my view, this is another uh, call to uh, our country. And uh, uh, I, I think that the, the leaders are handling it uh, very well. Uh, I think they're trying to stay ahead of the curve, and I think they are for the most part. Uh, but, you know, we're still kind of right in the middle of this. And so I think there'll be, um, uh, there'll be many people that will look back on this particular, particular uh, point in time <clears throat> and criticize and praise, uh, depending on the outcome. But I think uh, from my perspective, uh, what people need to do is the same thing that happened uh, when they had the Murrah bombing and or we had the uh, 911 is just, you know, uh, keep your focus uh, and, and don't get uh, hung up with all the people that have all the dire forecasts and, and that sort of thing uh, for the future. Uh, we can't read the future. Uh, all we can do is focus on this day. And uh, I think for the most part, America has done that very, very well. And speaking of that, sir, because like, as you mentioned, you were in office when the Oklahoma City bombings occurred and when the 9-11 attacks occurred, you know, how do you felt like the way the policies and procedures that you had in place for the community, how did the public respond to you and your team? Well, they were, they were great. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the overwhelming feeling in both of those instances was that we're in this together. And uh, the best way to uh, attack this is together. Uh, you can't do it if you're going to argue with one another. Uh, you got to focus on how we how we heal and how we address 
uh, the concerns that people had after those two incidences. This is different. Uh, it's happening on a worldwide basis, uh, and it's happening on a person-to-person -person basis. So it is different than, than either of those two other national tragedies. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of our approach has to be the same, and that's that, that we're, we're going to be only we're going to be as strong as we are together. And that was your and that was your message when you had the opportunity and, and, and all as well as the other gold jackets. That was your particular message. We're in this together, sir. That's exactly right. You know, when you look at the doctors, the nurses, the caregivers, the first responders, what is your message to them? Well, I mean, first of all, my message is thank you. Uh, those guys are really putting their life in danger and, and uh, uh, you know, they find themselves in harm's way and they're doing a great job. And I, my hope is that we've seen the worst of this. Mm -hmm. um, some people say we have seen the worst of it at this point. Others don't believe that's the case, uh, but I hope it is. And I hope that uh, I'm sure they're, they're taking all the necessary precautions and I hope that those are enough. And Mr. Largent, during this time, what are you and your family are doing to stay, you know, pretty much just staying together? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're communicating with one another uh, as best we can. Uh, the the, the uh, YouTube or, or uh, Zoom or whatever uh, makes it a lot easier yes. to be able to talk and converse and uh, figure out what's going on and what plans they're making and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, you know, we as as parents and as grandparents of 10, uh, we're very concerned about our kids. And so it's good for us uh, to be able to, to go to Zoom or go to uh, Facebook or whatever and uh, be able to communicate with your kids and with your grandkids and just let them know that everything's going to be okay and this is a temporary thing and uh, we're going to get over it. Uh, and I think that's the message uh, to my children and my grandchildren. And that's really the, the message to the nation, too. Well, thank you for that as we wrap up that segment and um, just want to move forward to talk a little bit about national news with the NFL and as uh, free agency is underway and the draft is about to, you know, um, get, get underway. It, it won't be this, the, the pageantry of what we've seen in the past, but the National Football League, as time goes on, they're going to prepare. Um, I know I'm a fan. I know you're a fan. We miss it. We can't wait to see it. But I just want to take a trip down memory lane with you and talk to you about not so much free agency in a draft, but your story, how, how that all came about. Well, I would tell you that uh, speaking of that, uh, I can still remember draft day when it occurred in, in May uh, of my senior year of college. And uh, it's actually going to occur this year almost the same way it occurred in, when I was drafted because there was no flying to New York and, and being on TV and saying how great it is to be drafted and <clears throat> that kind of thing. You didn't do that. Right. Uh, not even the first round draft choice did that. Uh, not even the first pick of the draft did that. So <clears throat> it was more the way it's going to be this year uh, was the way it was in 1976 when I was drafted. So uh, that it will be different. Uh, people aren't used to it now. Uh, being that way, but that's the way it used to be anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think, I think uh, the NFL is doing an outstanding job of handling uh, all of this unusual uh, circumstances in a very uh, forthright and upright way. And I'm really proud to say that I'm associated with them. 
What was it like when you received that phone call? <clears throat> well, it, it was a phone call, uh, and it was at my my home uh, that I got the call. And you know, I, I was I was in the middle of taking tests and that sort of thing at being a college, uh, and it was my senior year too, so I needed to finish strong. But uh, <clears throat> you know, I was I was excited, uh, I was thrilled. Uh, I was married at that time. I shared the story with my wife, and uh, we we kind of felt like that. Uh, we checked that box and, and now we get back to my uh, graduating from college and our marriage and that sort of thing. Uh, but <clears throat> it was, it was, it really, it was a great thing uh, to know that I was going to an NFL team uh, and I got the chance to, uh, to make that team. Uh, now I didn't know what that encompassed or what that involved or the, the price it took uh, that you had to pay to be in shape to go to camp. Uh, but I learned that soon after that call. <laughs> and you look at this year's free agency with Tom Brady making his change. You know, that that's, you know, I know there's been so many other free agents that are moving because free agency is a part of the business. But when you think of the GOAT, you know, well, one of the GOATs, because I know you will argue that there are some GOATs that you've seen play. But for Tom Brady in my time, it's like, wow, after 20 years, he's going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's going to be kind of odd when you, you know, don't see him in that um, New England Patriots uniform anymore. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I'm a little sad for that, really. I, I thought that uh, Tom would finish his career in New England. Uh, but there's obviously there's some friction or something going on there that we're not aware of. And maybe we'll never be aware of what it is that uh, really led him to uh, change courses. Because I think his goal was to finish his career in New England as well. Uh, and they obviously had, they had a great year this year. Uh, and you can't, can't argue with that. Uh, but there was something in there that uh, just rubbed somebody the wrong way. And it led to what we saw happen with Tom signing with Tampa Bay. Uh, but, you know, I, I, think, I think he's a great quarterback, and obviously. And, uh, so he'll do well wherever he's at. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how many more years he wants to play. Uh, but I look forward to watching him every year he's playing. Are you surprised he went to a totally different conference, that like he didn't stay in the AFC because, like, Peyton Manning did? Um, you know, every, everything surprised me about the move. Uh, but I thought, you know, hey, you know, Tom's played a lot in cold-weather environment, and he chose to go to Tampa. Uh, right. And I can't, I can't argue uh, his choice for sure. Now, for you, when you had a choice, because I really want to get this right, because I want to hear from the horse's mouth. For you and your situation, you were drafted by one team, and then unfortunately, you went from the South to actually the West. So take us through that whole process. Back to the Northwest. So, Northwest, excuse uh, me. Northwest. I had been to Seattle one time in my life before I was uh, signed by Seattle, uh, and that was on a Young Life trip. We went to uh, Canada. We went through Seattle. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I wasn't thinking about where I was drafted at the time. I mean, where I was signed, uh, at the time that I was uh, cut by the Houston Oilers and signed by the Seahawks. I was just glad I got a second chance because I wasn't sure I was going to. And, uh, the advantage that I had was that the offensive coordinator that was at the university of Tulsa for three and a half years was Jerry Rome. And he was also, uh, the now coaching the Seattle Seahawks as the receiver and quarterback coach. And so that gave me a lot of confidence uh, going up there and knowing that uh, if Jerry had anything to do with the passing game, that we were going to run something similar to what we had done, what I'd been playing, you know, for three and a half years at, 
University of Tulsa, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, I go to Seattle, and I'm kind of discouraged. You know, I got cut by the Houston Oilers, and I was I was their second draft pick because they had Mike Barber. They drafted in the second round. They didn't have a first round. They didn't have a third round. And in the fourth round, it was me. So there were two guys that were drafted the first of the draft, and they cut their second guy, that which was me, uh, in the fourth round. And so uh, they ended up trading me to Seattle. Uh, they actually told me I was waived, put me on waivers, and they had a thing called recallable waivers where they would cut you and put you on the waiver wire and see if somebody else picked you up. And there were three teams that uh, tried to get me. One was San Francisco, one was Chicago, and the other was Seattle. Seattle gave an eighth-round draft choice uh, for me, and I was on my way to Seattle if I wanted to go. And I, I drove back to Tulsa uh, and actually Oklahoma City, where my wife was living with her family uh, during training camp. And uh, so, you know, we made the decision, yeah, I'm going to go try to make the team in Seattle. And I packed a small bag and uh, headed to Seattle, got on the plane and flew to Seattle and gave me a physical and practice was the next day. Wow. And uh, so actually it was the day I arrived was the practice, uh, that first practice. And I went out there and I saw Jerry and there was a couple other guys that they had taken from uh, my university. And so I know that knew them, and, uh, but everybody would had tape on their helmet because this is the first year of the franchise. So I go out there and uh, I, I immediately dropped the first two passes that were thrown to me. And Jerry came over to me and said, Hey Steve, you just got to do what you did at Tulsa and you'll be fine. Yeah. And just that little air of confidence and, and uh, confidence in me, uh, just did wonders for my, for my uh, self-confidence and ability to play and, and do what I knew I could do. And uh, so I didn't, I don't think I dropped another ball after that, uh, the rest of the practice. So uh, that was, it, that was, it was really heartwarming and uh, encouraging to have a coach, uh, you know, talking to you affirmatively. And uh, Jerry did just that for me. What are some of the things that you miss about the game, Steve? And what are some of the things along with that, what are some of the things that you have taken away from the game that you carry today with you? Well, without a doubt, the answer to the, the, the last question you asked me was, um, what do I take away from the game? And that's the friendships that I made with coaches and players and even players on the other team. Uh, and that really, um, you know, that's something that you carry your whole life. Uh, you, you don't you don't age out of that or anything else, uh, and uh, so you know the Seahawks will have a uh, reunion and, and everybody come back to that. And I really look forward to those uh, and being able to talk with the guys. The, old, the guys that played after me, uh, there weren't any guys that played before me in Seattle, but uh, you know it's really fun to talk to them about uh, you know the games and the plays and the practices and the things that happen in the locker room and. Uh, the great friendships that you form and, and uh, just sparking those again uh, is, is what I really look forward to the most from my NFL career. But uh, I would tell you that, that uh, I, I think that uh, the platform that I built as a player uh, was one that I tried to use responsibly uh, to encourage kids and young people and adults alike uh, to, to play the game the way uh, it's meant to be played, uh, to play hard, to play fair. Uh, and, and apply those same principles in your life, uh, to work hard, uh, to work fair. Uh, and those things were uh, it was fun to me to see uh, people listen to that message. And uh, I think it's an important message that uh, our world needs to hear today. 
And after having an illustrious career in the National Football League, what drove you to politics? What drove you to become a public servant? <laughs> That's an easy answer. Uh, it was my wife. Uh, because when I, when I left the NFL, I was uh, asked all the time <clears throat> by reporters uh, at the end of the, my career uh, what I planned to do. And I said, well, I, I, I don't know. I've got a lot of options, but I know two things I'm not going to do. I don't want to coach and I don't want to be in politics. <clears throat> and so uh, I, I learned very quickly, you shouldn't ever say what you will never do. Uh, because in about three short years later, I was running for office uh, in uh, Oklahoma in the first congressional district. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Was it, was it, did you find, uh, you brought the passion of what you learned and built in the locker room to your campaign? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, there, there's so many principles that you learn in the game of football, uh, that you can apply to your life, apply to your next job, um, that are, and it's, it's an easy transition too. Uh, because the idea of, of working hard uh, and being prepared uh, and, and things like that are things that you have to do whatever you do after football. Absolutely. When you get that opportunity, as you mentioned, to go back to Seattle and meet with your colleagues and your former teammates, it's amazing. That stadium is amazing, but they are truly the 12th man. It's loud in there. Yeah, you well, felt even, that. Louder when, even louder when they had a kingdom. Uh, and they were all in one building, and it was crazy. I think my hearing loss is due to that to some, some degree. But, uh, no, the, the fans in Seattle are absolutely fantastic, and uh, it, it was, it was a, a, a real love affair uh, in my career over the last over 14 years in the NFL. Steve, as the Pro Football Hall of Fame prepares for enshrinement week powered by Johnson Controls, and uh, we have the 2020 Centennial class this year. Your thoughts on that? Because that class, the 2020, it, it gave an opportunity for some of the seniors that may have been overlooked, and now they're going to be Pro Football Hall of Famers. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you that of the 20 people that are being inducted at some point in time uh, over the course of the rest of the year, I hope it takes place. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just disregarding the whole uh, coronavirus thing, but – um, those guys are all very deserving uh, players and uh, great players, players. I, I played against a lot of these guys uh, that are coming into the Hall of Fame, and uh, I'm really proud of them and proud for them. Uh, so it, it, it'll be a fun time. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. But lastly, before I let you go, man, what is your message to fans? Give me something, man. Like, I can't wait. You know, I go to one game a year. And I host my parties. And I just love watching football. I'm watching so many different 30 for 30s, old classic hardwood court games. I mean, I think I've seen probably every Jordan game played. I just watched LeBron James' championship last night. Cleveland, this is for you. I mean, <laughs> I just can't. I'm starving. What is your message to the fans that are just patiently waiting for sports again? Well, I, I, what I would say is keep the faith. Just keep the faith. Keep the faith in the Lord. Keep the faith in uh, people. Uh, keep your faith in our country. Uh, keep your faith in the world. And uh, we're going to get through this. There's no doubt in my mind. And uh, we're going to come out the other end and we're going to be better for it. So that would be what I would say. Well, that's going to do it here for the mission. For Mr. Largent, I'm Jameer Howerton. We want to thank you guys for tuning in.